Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes, and today's guest is Reformation founder, Yael Aflalo. In this episode, she discussed the best ways to sell sustainability to customers, how to pull off in-store technology, and why she hates the word transparency. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for coming in, Yael. Thanks for having me. So you're based in LA, the company's based in LA, but your first store was in New York. Actually, it was in Los Angeles. It was in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had this whole thing teed up and it was wrong anyway. <laughs> it, we had our first store in LA and then I was actually living in New York at the time. Okay. And immediately we opened one in New York, so a few months later. Right. So, you know, you guys are interesting because there's so been so many um, direct-to-consumer brands that started online only, then they experimented with pop-ups. Then they started opening a few stores, but you guys have a, a big number of stores for for a relatively young brand. How many is it? Is it twelve? Uh, thirteen now. Thirteen. I'm starting. No, out. it just literally like a month ago <laughs> turned to thirteen. So and you're so you're kind of ahead. At, let's talk about the stores and and the unique um, format and the and the technology that's happening in there because you know it's a women's apparel brand. Um, and you guys make sustainable clothing and the stores. You walk in and you're not sifting through inventory. Tell us a little bit how you how you formatted them. Um, so we originally started with stores, like you mentioned. And so, um, and I also worked retail, like when I was a kid, so intimately familiar with how stores work. Um, and um, our stores are really busy. Mm-hmm. So um, on a typical Saturday, one of our stores could have like a line for an hour, hour and a half um, for a dressing room. Um, and the stores are also, as a result, like highly profitable. So it makes sense to open up more of them. Um, but one of the problems our original stores had was they had a really bad um, customer experience because like they were waiting in line for a dressing room. Everybody that worked in the store, all they could do is actually just clean up and mm-hmm. put stuff away. Um, like a Zara or Topshop, right? There right. really wasn't any customer service. Um, but people, you know, for our prices and for our products really expected people to, the salespeople in the stores to be helping them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a long time, it made sense for us to open up more stores, but I didn't want to do it because I didn't love our store experience and mm-hmm. I didn't want more of them. I didn't feel that the store experience represented the brand in a good way. Um, and so I was like, I thought about how do we leverage technology to create a store experience that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I also felt like I didn't like shopping in stores. When I went into stores, I would say, this sucks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, do you have this jeans in my size? Or, you know, what color do you have these jeans in? And that information is not available. Right. Um, so we built a, a clothing store that is sort of, you know, what I think is the best of both both um, an e-commerce site, but also a retail experience. So mm. um, you get to have um, as much information as you want about the products that we have in the store, what sizes, what colors, everything at, at you know right at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also, you know, while we still have wait times in our tech stores, um, it's we'll text you when the store when your dressing room is ready. You don't have to stand there in line holding on to clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it's just a much better experience now. Right, and and so when you're when you're a customer, how does that change 
the way that you are interacting with the brain. You mentioned that there's, um, you know, the e-commerce experience at your fingertips as well. So do you ask for people? I think that, you know, brands are, are kind of struggling. How do we match up what's happening online and what's happening offline? Do you ask people for any information when they're in the store? And how do you make sure that it's seamless but still smart in that in that way that you're gathering the information? Um, so, you know, our store experience is so different that we didn't want to ask people for any information up front. So mm-hmm. people just use, um, to start a dressing room, you need a username. So it can uh-huh. be whatever you want it to be. Right. Um, but when they purchase something, which luckily a lot of people do, uh-huh. um, we'll, we get their email and then we can join that email email with their online mm-hmm. email and then we know who they are right and, and and so what how did having stores um from the outset and and now like you said they're they're a profitable piece of the business um we've spoken before about how stores are marketing fronts sure. <laughs> like yeah. mom fronts marketing fronts uh <laughs> for for an online brand where you're building awareness you're mm-hmm. you're you're still having to grow online as well what, what's the advantage of, of having that store network still? And why do you think that there was that period where people were like, oh, the store is dead? I, I, you know, I think, first of all, I think, you know, markets and investors and all that kind of stuff. And the media also, you know, moves around certain fads, right? Mm-hmm. So when we first started, um, it was stores are dead you know, and it's all about e-com. And then now everybody's like, no, omni-channel is super important. So I think it's, I think it's really important to try to ignore some of those, those shifting trends because, mm-hmm. and, and really follow what, you know, what the business is telling us and what our customers are telling us. And um, people like shopping in stores. Like I, I like shopping in stores. I also like shopping in e-commerce. It's like, I like both. Mm-hmm. Like I like going to the movies, but I also sometimes like to watch a movie at home. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Crazy. And one's not going to kill the other one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a winner take all exactly. scenario. Um, so I think it's important to have a great experience across all of those all of those places. Like we just started um, selling at Nordstrom's. It's mm-hmm. our first wholesale account. And I think, you know, I shop at Nordstrom's too. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's cool to be able to find Reformation products at Nordstrom's. Yeah. So, and, and, and yeah, and then that introduces the the third the third distribution point um i you know it's funny like the dtc brands first there were going to be no stores and it was going to be oh well, well no department stores and now brands are like especially with nordstrom particularly because they've kind of re- revamped the way that they merchandise uh it's like well okay we'll do that like how did you what did, were the terms that you wanted to lay out with nordstrom to make sure that it was a partnership that that made sense for for the Reformation brand. So Reformation at its core is fast fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's most important to us is that we can be really quick in responding to um, what our customers want, mm-hmm. um, and and um, being able to um, like. So basically, how our business model works is is we'll put out a bunch of stuff, and then whatever does well, we recut and we can get it back in the stores in two weeks, three weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's really critical to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with Nordstrom's, what we were able to do is to say, hey, listen why don't you guys give us like a dollar amount per month? And then within that we sell, we ship you whatever we we feel is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been really good because that allows us to really um, do our fast fashion model within Nordstrom. Right, so it's more flexible than than what a typical wholesale brand might've been doing. Yeah, like we, if something's doing really well for us in you know June, we could send it to Nordstrom's in July or August. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and for them that's great too because they have tested products and then it sells really well. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that brands, um, direct to consumer brands, brands like Reformation that were, you know, 
built in the last 10 years or so, uh-huh. are they different than than brands of the past so yeah. much as we act like they are? Um, and how so? I don't know. I can't speak for other brands. I can speak for Reformation. Right. How we, it's different. Oh, yeah, your, your perspective. God, we're really different, mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, like, um, like, a wholesale brand, I take for granted how much information we have about our customers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, we know everything about them, you know, and, and we know about it through surveys and through meeting them, you know, in our stores, as well as um, social media. Like, our customers are constantly telling, like, people say like, oh, it's important to have a dialogue with our customers. Sometimes I'm like, oh my God. You know, like, on social media, they're telling us everything that they think all the time mm-hmm. about all of our products, about all of our policies, about, um, the models that we choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just know them very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that definitely a lot of, you know, older older brands, older companies aren't able to have. Another thing is the way that we're set up. Um, so our retail, like a lot of uh, brick and mortar companies are trying to reinvent themselves, right? Figure out how to make their existing brick and mortar stores work mm-hmm. within this new landscape, right? right. We built our brick and mortar, you know, in the past year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so our stores are smart, they're built for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think this, the, so the, I think at the core though, I, I, that this data and this customer information um, and that insight that these brands have into their customers, I think that's the main difference. I, I think I, it's like a direct to consumer what it gives you. Yeah, and like the all, the, all the other things that like you're going to be selling so dramatically differently, marketing so dramatically differently are, are kind of cosmetic on top of that layer of data. Yeah, I mean, I think there's one way to think about it. So the first way to think about it is like, oh, we're using all this customer data to, I think, manipulate the customer into buying our products, mm-hmm. right? We know that if we send her a newsletter at 6 a.m. versus 7 a.m., she's 12% more likely to convert. And like, we do do that stuff, mm-hmm. obviously, but not not to that great of an extent, because we really focus on what is our customer buying? What is she looking at? What is she trying on? Mm-hmm. What does she like about this? And like, figuring out, hey, these these set of, these sets of, you know, items are selling really well, why? Well, actually, because she wants to wear a bra <laughs> and you know and she really likes this length mm-hmm. you know and, and picking that out and and creating products that are really tailored towards consumer appetite mm-hmm. and yeah I mean, i'm sure that that informs every decision that you guys make and and but you guys have an interesting layer of your clothing is more sustainably made than mm-hmm. than most other fashion brands and so when you're deciding what new product categories you can expand into, how do you make both of those work at the same time? Does it, does it take a little bit longer or does the decision making end up moving differently? Yeah, so like we've really simplified like our approach to sustainability to make it very understandable both for like internally, like for people at our company as well as for um potential vendors that would be manufacturing for us. Mm-hmm. So we basically have a closed list and we say, these are all the material, these are all the fibers we can use. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty simple. Like, and there are actually enough fibers where it's it works. And then we have, um, this is, these are the, these are the social, social requirements, right? This is like, 
this is what we require as far as like paying people and what types of ethical programs your manufacturing facility has to have. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing that we work on is more like certifications to make sure that things are non-toxic and you know, th there's a bunch of third-party certifications like Oikotex or Blue Sign certified or right. organic, and um, and so we we employ those. So it's easy, right? So then it just becomes about okay, we know what we want, so we just need to find people that can do it, and mm -hmm. that's kind of where. So initially, where it's the challenging is on the sourcing side. Mm -hmm. So it's actually shocking to find how many factories are not like compliant from like a social. Um, legal and like compensation. We well, have to think about how many other companies are even in, like looking for that. Kind of They're supposed to, to, right? Like right. They have to. Mm -hmm. Usually, what happens is, is like it's actually the larger companies mm -hmm. that are more compliant because they're more. There's more exposure for them, right? Um, and the smaller companies, right? Nobody's like going to go after small and mid-sized companies. Mm -hmm. And and they actually, it's not that they're trying to do bad. It's just that. They just don't have the resources. It's actually a lot of resources to follow up and and check and make sure. Right. Like, I don't, you know, I don't, there's a part of me that feels not bad, but when companies get in trouble for like sweatshops or like, I, I, I really believe that most of them are not trying to do bad, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's very difficult and you need a lot of staff to trace it back because right. you gave it to a factory that was compliant but then they gave it to another factory that wasn't right you didn't know it's mm -hmm. like on the other side of the world mm -hmm. like most people wake up in the morning and try to do a good job mm -hmm. um and so for us what but we have like a team that's tracking it and, and doing all that stuff we're trying to we're developing a shoe brand right and and what's difficult there is is like it's the initial phases of finding sustainable materials mm -hmm. and sustainable partners right. but once we find them Right, it's it's off the ground. It's and then easy it's after that. Yeah, machines in motion. It's the first. It's getting it off the ground. Right, and is this so for the for the for the footwear line um, that just launched? Mm. It's not. That's not what it is. So, so that's like a collaboration. collaboration launch. That's like a, so. Basically, what we do is in advance of launching a new category, uh -huh. we do collaborations, right. we do testing, and we're just gathering information mm -hmm. on what price points our customers are responding to, like mm -hmm. what colors, what styles. So it's like like a testing ground right. so it's coming yeah and, <laughs> and you also did uh denim yes. and with that and so and with everything you give all the, the customers all the information about how things are made yes. and and sourced and, and the fabrics and everything that goes with that and so how do you from a like an internal standpoint how do you build a team that's both um you know customer data minded and sustainability minded is it is are you building they're separate teams they're separate teams <laughs> so, so we have like a three-person think sustainability team at this point mm -hmm. and they're just like they handle sustainability and they also handle like compliance social compliance mm -hmm. so making sure that people are following the laws right but and are they talking to the to the data team I'm, I'm sure everyone talks to each other i mean like at lunch right okay <laughs> but basically what happens is is like if the production team or supply chain team wants to get a new vendor approved mm -hmm. then they have to go to the sustainability team who vets them and checks them and approves them right yes or no right sometimes you know it's, it's a no right <laughs> a lot of times it's a no. uh and you know i think that you know, even just talking through i'm sure a very light starter level of, of the complexities of, of this type of work that you're doing on the sustainability side. Do you think that that's where the word transparency kind of came from? Like we haven't figured it out, but we're going to try to, and we'll bring the customers along with us. Transparency as like a marketing term. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like 
it's like on its way to sustainability. How do you how do you sort of define the two? Well, I mean, sustainability is the practice of people, profits, and environment, right? Those are uh-huh. like the three most important things. Like it has to um it has to be sustainable for people. It has to be sustainably it has to be profitable because if it's not profitable it can't exist. Mm-hmm. And then for the environment, um it needs to be sustainable for the environment. I think transparency is a different word that emerged as a result of the internet, um which is hey, I, access to information, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything's about I you know, free and um egalitarian like access to information. Right. And I think the same thing with with companies like I want to know everything about this company I want to know everything about the products I want to mm-hmm. know everything about the model right that's modeling the product so it's it's mm-hmm. like across the board do you consider reformation to be a, a, a transparency practicing brand or sort of know. I mean I like kind of hate that word mm-hmm. I feel like it's like a little bit of a buzzword and I think sometimes it doesn't mean anything because it's like a means to an end I don't know. It's just like it's it's so loaded right now because so I think so many people use that word and mm-hmm. maybe they're not. It's sort of manipulative. Mm-hmm. I think at this point it feels manipulative. Mm-hmm. So we like to call, use the word traceable. Yeah, yeah, that so makes sense. traceability because mm-hmm. a lot of people say they're transparent, but what does that mean? So yeah. I think we we like to use word traceability, mm-hmm. and that so, means that. Here's the facts. Yeah. Here's the facts, and here's everything to support what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's interesting to see how it how it all ladders up to what brand positioning is today as well. Um, and you know, when, so when you're talking to your customers, how do you know at what point what they're looking for at any given time that they want to hear from the brand? Like, if someone. Does someone have to go out there and say, okay, well, I'm actually interested in where my these jeans came from and what they're made from and, and all of that. It's traceable. They can trace it versus just sheer branding. Um, Moments. Yeah. Um, so I think what we – we understand that there's definitely different segments to mm-hmm. our customers. And, like, I think those segments for, like, appetite, for information around different subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so – I think we send, a, like, I'll give an example. Like, we send a sustainability report quarterly. Um, and it's, it's like, a pretty meaty document that's very, like, tons of numbers and, like, it's a meaty document. Mm-hmm. Um, and how many, what percentage of our customers do I think read it? The entire thing, mm-hmm. right? And really think about it. Right. A small percentage. Yes. <laughs> what percentage of customers um, read the headlines? I think a media a much bigger percentage. Mm-hmm. What percent of customers look at it and think, "Wow, Reformation's really sustainable," and don't even read the headlines? Mm-hmm. Maybe like a bigger percentage, but do they like getting it? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about um, because I think it gives them faith that we're walking the walk, mm-hmm. um, and and I think it's important um, to understand that about your customers. So what we've always done is we've said, "Hey." We know that there's only a small percentage of customers that really are going to read this, but it's important that we give it for them, mm-hmm. you know, and and um, and then the rest of the customers, they like that we do it, even though they're not maybe reading the whole thing. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, I think that, like you said, it's it's just it's part of the the overall experience and it kind of sticks in your mind as who the brand is overall, like overall during the course of the business, like over the past you know, eight years, mm-hmm. we've seen the appetite for sustainable content only increasing. Mm-hmm. And as this appetite for sustainable content has been increasing, 
we've been increasing our content. Mm-hmm. Why? Seven years ago, it was just like, it was literally crickets when we would post like an Instagram post about reformation, right? Mm-hmm. About sustainability. Right. Crickets. And and we always wanted to post about it. Like I was always passionate about it, but people weren't listening. So it's like when you're having a conversation with somebody and you start trailing off on a subject like I'm doing right now and you're zoning out. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm present. No, no, I'm just joking, but you know what I mean? You, you don't want to do it too much. Maybe mm-hmm. you bring it up a few more times, but you're not going to keep blabbling about right. it. But if I start talking and you about a subject that I'm really passionate about and you're listening and mm-hmm. you're engaged and talking back, okay, I'm like, all right, I'm... I'm going to talk more. Right, right. <laughs> and so that's what's been luckily happening, and that's exciting. Right. Yeah, that's that's it's awesome. And um, you guys also just announced a partnership with ThreadUp. Oh, yeah. Where mm-hmm. if you send in, you have like a Reformation-coded bag, uh, you can send in old clothing you're no longer wearing, and then ThreadUp, depending on what they do keep to sell, you'll get a Reformation credit. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's interesting because I, I think that resale companies like the real real to thread up um to companies like rent the runway where you're not buying or renting they've kind of said like oh and and it's a more sustainable way to shop but it I, you know it's kind of one of those things where it's like well you know is it are they just kind of like leaning into this or or do you really see that these business models that are alternatives to buying new are a different way to shop sustainably than buying um like environmentally friendly made clothing mm-hmm. I think we kind of got to go through all of that, all of them, uh-huh. right? As consumers or like as businesses, we have to focus on all of them to address like the issues mm-hmm. of sustainability. So like one thing is, you know, cir- it's like basically the concept in sustainability is called circularity. Right. So for us, we have circularity goals mm-hmm. as a business. So our business goal this year is to um, reuse, recycle or resell 75,000 pieces of clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and ThreadUp's going to help us get that goal. Right. And circularity also applies to, um, would that also apply to like the dead stock fabrics that yes. some things are made from? But l- not so. as much. Okay. I think for us, our circularity goals are around finished goods. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and what other what other goals do you have then? So I, I don't remember them all like, perfectly <laughs> well, but I know the goals. I don't remember the numbers. Uh-huh. So we have goals around. Um, so we have our circularity goal. Mm-hmm. We have goals around um, third-party certifications. So that's something that we're not as good at, which is how many of our materials have either a blue sign or, or Ocotex certification saying that they're very clean mm-hmm. in their processing and dyeing. So that's an area of improvement for us. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember the number, but... Uh, we need we have a certain percentage we want to get to there mm-hmm. um, and then um, garment care so a big portion of the environmental impact of clothing like can't remember the number right now but over I think it's over 70 percent something crazy like that over 70 yeah. percent of a garment's impact is actually after you take it home mm-hmm. um, it's in the carrying and washing of it and so dry cleaning is really bad mm-hmm. and washing warm is really bad mm-hmm. Um and so having more of our, so if you're a Reformation customer, you know like a lot of our clothes are dry clean only. Mm-hmm. So one of our one of our goals is moving away from dry clean only and moving towards machine wash cold, mm-hmm. which sounds so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but having um, better, but in order to do that, we have to make our products differently mm-hmm. so that they can be machine washable. 
Right. And, and so that goes back to how this all feeds into the design process. You're not just designing clothing um, that that your customers even want or, or, or anything like that. It all has to ladder up to this broader this broader goal. But it's like a win-win, right? Because I think people are more likely to purchase things that have easier care. Oh, well, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So we have a goal of like how much we want to be machine wash cold. And, and, and the list keeps going. There's about eight goals. Mm-hmm. And so now you mentioned you're, you're eight years in, uh, you're, you know, starting to mature as a, as a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you set out not the sustainability goals, but the, the growth goals, like the, the customer scaling, we've already talked about how stores, um, are profitable marketing channels, but where are you spending in terms of, of customer acquisition online? Um, do you feel like there's still, like how much more room is there to grow at this stage uh, for the brand online? Um, so we don't actually spend a lot on customer acquisition. Mm-hmm. So I think 5% of our revenue is spent on um, customer acquisition costs, paid marketing, which is like insanely low for the industry. Yeah. Um, we, um, that's just hasn't been our strategy. So mm-hmm. um, we do believe that we can have more paid marketing. So that's something we're gonna invest in in the future. Mm-hmm. But we think most of our growth comes from um, one international on e-commerce. Mm-hmm. So we really haven't done anything there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you currently, where do you ship right now? We ship all over the world. Okay. Like there's certain countries we don't ship for mm-hmm. some specific reason, but right. I don't, not a lot. Um, so we ship internationally. Um, I think about 18% of our revenue on e-com comes from international, and that's mm. without any optimization. So mm. generally, like, it's not in, it's only in English, it's only in dollars, right? Shipping's like a little funky, returns are a little funky yeah. online. Um, and so we think we have, you know, a really big opportunity international. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of our big, big pushes. Um, another big thing is shoes and bags. So as everybody knows, like shoes and bags is a gigantic percentage of most fashion brands. Mm-hmm. Um, we ha- don't have those yet. So those are in the works and mm-hmm. we think that's going to be really important for us. Um, there's a few other ones, but they're like secret. Uh-huh. So <laughs> those are the not secret <laughs> ones. So, that's, so the growth comes from expanding the business but you but you said you're not you haven't really pulled the levers on paid marketing yet yeah and do you feel like it's it's better to wait longer to do those it seems like it's a slippery slope we've been really happy with the growth that we've had without doing it right so i've heard that as you get bigger it gets keeps it gets harder to grow so mm-hmm. we have sort of a treasure trove of of opportunities there that we've been kind of holding off on right um and and you know anything about direct like things like the email like connection with customers um it's 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 interesting to think of how these direct-to-consumer brands are so positioned to be like we own our customer data we don't like we have different retail relationships than traditional wholesale brands and we know so much more about the customer but when you're if you're reliant on facebook and instagram like that's that's a customer relationship that's being filtered through these platforms that that kind of have different agendas than a retailer would have. Than- so our biggest communication channel by far is email. Uh-huh. So I think people really like our emails. Right. Um, and that's where we see the most um, proven return. Mm-hmm. And how do you get people in the in the door to sign up? Oh my God, all kinds of tricks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if you make a purchase, mm-hmm. generally, or you do an account, people sign up for email. 
We also do sweepstakes. Mm. Those are actually really effective. What kind of sweepstakes? Oh my god, people love sweepstakes where you giveaways. Yeah. You like partner with like glossy or uh-huh. you know who what where whatever right and uh, maybe a few other brands mm-hmm. and you do like a giveaway for like Reformation clothes and mm-hmm. a trip to Singapore or whatever. There you go. And uh, <laughs> people sign up. Uh-huh. Um, stores have been like a really important way of right. getting people to sign up for mm-hmm. the newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also think like being good with your newsletters, having good content not abusing, you know, sometimes not spamming people's mm-hmm. inbox. How do you split up the marketing team then um, with, do you have like an, an email team, a paid team, a brand team? How do you? We have a really small marketing team. Yeah, <laughs> like it makes so making it sound Our just... marketing spend, I think, is like like less than 6% of our total revenue. Mm-hmm. So it's very low. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's across brand and paid. So basically we have a brand team mm-hmm. and then we have a paid team. Mm-hmm. Paid team does like, Facebook, Google, you know, anything with what they call like an ROI. Right. I call it like anything that you can count. Mm-hmm. Literally count goes to the paid team. Right. <laughs> anything that's just that's brand and beautiful yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Paid is count. Brand right. team is. It's the, the pretty halo, stuff. The yes, exactly. <laughs> they do all the photo shoots, all the press releases, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, and so, so you obviously have a lot in the pipeline. Um, when do you start thinking as a brand of, of this size about the, the longer term goals? Is it, do you like, we're always thinking about right, it. Of course. Like the, the, the exit strategy, people never want to lay out the exit strategy. It's like, oh, we're not thinking about the exit strategy. So it's not, an, it, it makes it sound different than it is, but like, you know, do you see it? Where do you see the, cause there's so many just individual niche brands today do you see them and, and they can't all scale to a certain size so so do you think it's going to be like a size writing thing for these brands do you see the reformation going public down the line do you see being acquired like how do you if you were to look into the future of what what your goals would be um so the goal of reformation is to bring sustainable fashion to mass market of course um, yeah, so um, <laughs> that's one, and then I think I think Reformation, just given our growth trajectory and like how you know how engaged our customers are, mm-hmm. um, that I could easily see Reformation being beyond a billion dollar brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you think that they're like the era of the billion dollar brand isn't over? We've heard people say no, that on I this think, very show. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, no, I think. Um, I think it's interesting. I think that basically Reformation is like one of the leaders of this new D to C, you know, uh, mostly digital mm-hmm. brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting to see where those are where those are going to go. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen exits happening there, right? Right, not too there many. Ha- no, not really. Right? There's been the multi. You know, we we're just there's been like you know you just have Revolve announce their IPO mm-hmm. and Farfetch, but those aren't. Those aren't really D to, those aren't D to C brands, brands, right? Yeah, those are those market are marketplaces and 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 an e-commerce sites. So mm-hmm. you've seen a lot of e-commerce businesses, mm-hmm. um, but as far as like we're sort of you know, I feel like our size and there's a few other companies our size that are the they're not at maturation yet mm-hmm. where those types of exits are happening yet. Like mm-hmm. whether it's like an IPO or a large strategic acquisition. Well, no, I mean Walmart just announced their purchase of Eloquy. Right. We don't know how much for, but they have, yeah, they've heard some whispers. Have, have you? 
<laughs> we'll whisper those into the mic. No. <laughs> so they, oh, yeah, that's what, exactly like Walmart is clearly gunning for brands just like yours. Yeah. <laughs> How does that make you feel? Special. <laughs> really special. Um, yeah. So I think it's. I think it's very clear that, especially in the apparel sector, like something needs to change, right? Mm-hmm. Like what's going on right now in apparel, you know, it's not incredible. Like right. The sector is not growing, like that kind of stuff. And so then when you look at, um, and then you look at reformation and mm-hmm. we're definitely like disrupting the like apparel industry. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, time. I'm not, I'm sort of agnostic sort of. Um, You're just focused on your own, your own growth. We'll see yeah. what happens. <laughs> well, it's all very exciting. Uh, we'll see where, can't wait to see where it goes. Um, we're just about out of time. That's like 30 minutes, right? That went fast. All right. Well, thank it you so much. Fast. All right. It's crazy because this room makes you think like, how long have Ta- I been in time here Time isn't for? passing. <laughs> yeah. Right? It is somehow. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. A special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. If you've been enjoying the Glossy podcast and aren't a Glossy Plus subscriber yet, it's time to consider joining to get access to all of Glossy's content, member events, ticket discounts, Slack chats, and more. As a reward for listening, use the code podcast at glossy.co slash plus to get 20% off an annual subscription. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.